The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now we're going to talk about the markets today. It's a good time to be looking ahead to 2023 to see what type of opportunities there are out there to uh, invest wisely. We're joined by a senior analyst at Morningstar now, Brian Hahn. Um, Brian, great to have you with us today. Welcome. Hello, Oriel. Thank you for having me. Now let's talk about the markets. What is your view on where we're at right now? Well, in terms of um, the key thing is that I think we've had almost a decade of a very um, accommodative interest rate environment. And despite myself being a bottom-up fundamental analyst, even I have to admit that low interest rates have been the number one driver of stock market returns over the past decade. I think that paradigm has changed. And I think going forward, um, those interest rates will continue to be a headwind for the market. And that's where I think uh, individual stock picking and fundamental analysis will become even more important going forward because you can't just ride on the coattail of easy money anymore going forward. No, it's certainly not the case. So if you look ahead over 2023, what's your expectation, Brian, in terms of what we're going to see when it comes to I suppose, interest rates and inflation, because much of what we've seen on the markets has been driven by the movement of interest rates. Mm. I still think that uh, there is some way to go in the um, rising interest rate cycle, and that will have a direct impact on the timing of when inflation will be curbed. But to tell you the truth, Oriel, I have no idea when these cycles will peak or ebb All I do know is that this cycle and the fee that is prevalent in the market now will continue to produce some real investment opportunities because, you know, I think people are looking at the downside and extrapolating the current negative thinking uh, forever into the future, just like during 2021 when the market was at its peak, people were extrapolating all of those upside forever into the future. So from that context, I do believe that people should pay more attention on the buy side instead of just thinking about what should I sell now and what kind of losses should I crystallize. So when we talk about losses and crystallizing losses, we're talking about it being a pretty tough year. Now it's been easier here in Australia than it has been on some of the offshore markets uh, anyway. But why do you think that we're only down sort of, you know, single digits at the moment year to date, given, you know, the type of market forces that are out there at the moment? Actually, Oriel, it's better than that. Uh, The market, our market is uh, now down only, I think, two or 3% this year to date, thanks to the uh, recent rally. And it's actually flat from pre-COVID levels. So, all that stock market turmoil from the pandemic sell-down, to the subsequent recovery as digital took over our lives and back to angst as uh, inflation and interest rates started to rise, you could have avoided all of that just by cutting off your internet and um, ignoring the market over the past couple of years. But if we drill down a little more 
on this year's market performance. It's actually the tech, real estate, and consumer discretionary sectors that have dragged the market down. Sectors such as banks' resources have held up very well, as as has the um, healthcare sector. And these three sectors account for 60% of the market. And then we've had the bull market in energy and coal stocks, while uh, utilities companies are also catching the attention of private equity. So that, Aurel, I think explains the resilience of our market this year. So when you look at those particular sectors, resources, financial services, healthcare, you talked about energy there uh, for a moment, Brian. And I think this is particularly interesting because of the energy crisis that we've seen uh, over the course of this year. It's hard to balance out this push towards sustainability and EHG and, and the whole movement of the energy Uh, sector and the energy transition against this resurgence in some of the fossil fuels industries because of the energy crisis. How do you see this playing out? I, my honest answer is, I don't know. I think there are two opposing forces, as you you um, said. For example, let's take AGL. Now, this stock has been the pin-up target for ESG conscious investors and activists. But we, we think it's significantly undervalued compared to what we think it's worth. And I'm sure we don't have time to get into that whole debate about ESG and all of that, Oreo, but let's just look at it in a cold, hard way. The strong rebound in electricity prices should underpin strong earnings recovery. Those prices should hold up as aging coal power stations get forced to close down. And AGL's planned closure of its own coal power stations should help maintain those banking and creditor support. And at the end of the day, Oriel, there is fundamental value in a business that is one of Australia's largest generators and retailers of electricity. Now, you may demonize what they do, but for at least the next five to 10 years, we're still going to um, depend on them. And you can argue that the reason private equity bid for Origin Energy, at a big premium, mind you, vindicates that that thinking. Yes, it certainly does. Uh, so, So let me ask you then about the other stocks in that sector that you like, because there are a a handful of stocks in the energy sector and the oil and gas space that you are looking at right now. Which stocks do you think are going to provide that kind of opportunity and that kind of upside over the course of 2023? Yeah, perhaps um, I can talk about a couple of uh, oil and gas related stocks. Uh, as you know, oil, the oil, oil prices have surged and uh, we think they are likely to stay elevated for some time. For Santos, Uh, current production growth is very strong and we think the market is undervaluing its pipeline of new oil projects and for speech energy the production life of its oil projects are probably shorter than Santos's but the current stock price we think already more than discounts for that. So that's another idea. And by the way, Oriel, on Woodside, 
the uh, recent rally in the stock price has meant that the stock price has already narrowed the discount to um, our analyst valuation to just 10%. So um, that's a stock that our analyst has been pushing for a while and uh, I think it's coming to fruition. Mm, Okay. All right. What about Beach Energy? Uh, Beach Energy, yeah, as I said, um, yeah, I, I do believe there is significant value in that. But uh, if you want to compare it to Santos on the downside, the the production life of its various projects are shorter than Santos. On the, up, on the upside, I think the risk reward as implied by the current stock price is much, much higher skewed to the, um, the positive side. So let me ask you then, you know, you talked about um, not just resources and, and healthcare, but also financial services being really helping to support the index overall. Why do you believe this is the case? I mean, it's a bit of a push-pull argument when it comes to things like our big four banks. We've got mm. higher interest rates, but that then you always, have, of course, have the potential for higher bad debts or bad loans. I mean, well, how do you see this all panning out in financial services? Yeah, the first thing uh, we should um, highlight is that financials are such a linchpin uh, of the Australian market. You know, Oreo, as you would know, um, from an overseas point of view, or even from our point of view, um, Australian market has always been classified as a barbell-centric market. One end, supported by resources. The other end, supported by banking uh, sector. So those sectors dominate Australian super portfolios and funds, fund manager portfolios. So um, they will always exhibit that kind of resilience unless we have a real macro worldwide uh, disaster happening. But let's look at our banking um, sector more closely. Now, there are understandable worries about banks' exposure to the property market. What with um, house prices cooling, interest rates rising, and you know mortgage payment pressure brewing, all of our banks, and especially Westpac and ANZ at current prices, they are very well capitalised to withstand any downturn. And you mentioned before the impact of interest rates, rising interest rates on earnings in the near term. Rising interest rates are actually beneficial to bank earnings because they get more interest income from the loans. And Oriel, as you know, they're pretty tardy about lifting interest rates on deposits. And I should also mention that cost reductions will continue to be a feature for banks because I can't think of an industry that can benefit more from automation and digitization than these banks. It's absolutely the case that we are seeing an incredible amount of innovation in in financial services. When you're looking at that, the technology that's going to take our banks into the future, who's leading the pack? Yeah, unfortunately, in the Australian market context, there aren't many technology stocks that uh, are leveraged to that whole digitization and automation trend, that mega trend. It's mostly the global IT and services companies. But um, if you don't mind, Oriol, I mean, there are a couple of Australian success IT stories that uh, I can briefly talk to you about. And one of them would be a company such as Megaport. Uh, We think it's worth about $15. Uh, Current stock price is less than half of that. And it's basically a network services provider 
that um, allows companies to connect their systems to internet exchanges between their data centers and to cloud centers such as uh, AWS. And it does this in over 130 cities around the world. And it will probably take me another hour to explain exactly what that means. But for the moment, it's enough to just say that this company is leveraged to the increasing business usage of cloud services. And we all know how much cloud has come to dominate the IT ecosystem. Uh, Its customers are growing. Revenue per each customer is increasing and growth in overseas markets is especially impressive. So that's the thesis in a nutshell on Megaport. But there are other companies like WiseTech, a a software provider for the logistics industry and also NextDC, a data center operator. So those are some, some ideas. Mm, interesting in the in the tech space because it has been so so beaten down. Now, every we all know Australians love real estate, so, don't we, Brian? So I don't think we can go past what's happened over the course of the last three years without touching on on real estate. You know, whether it be commercial or or, or residential or or what whatever. If you look at the 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 movement in real estate prices over the course of COVID, of course, depending on what, whether you're talking about um, houses or city or country or apartments or commercial, you're going to see very different trends. But trends there were and very strong trends. That's all changing now as we seem to be, I suppose, finding a new normal almost post in this post-COVID environment. When we're looking for an equity opportunity in real estate, for 2023, where should we be looking? Certainly, um, I do agree that, that there are some secular changes happening. I mean, you know, two, two years ago, I didn't even know what WFH meant. And these days, people just throw that around. And um, funnily enough, I'm working from home today, talking to you, Oriel. Mm. But um, in the actual space, we do feel that you, number one concern is, do you have the balance sheet to weather the rising rates environment as a as a REIT company. And uh, I think we do have a couple of companies in the Australian market that satisfy that first most important criteria. And those are, for instance, Mervac and Dexas. And I'll talk about Mervac, but um, most of the things probably apply to Dexas too. So for instance, in Mervac, we think it's worth about $3. I think the current stock price is just over $2. It develops, owns, and manages a very diverse portfolio of properties right across office, retail, industrial, and residential sectors. Its, its properties are considered premium quality, and the vacancies are extremely low. Now, as I said before, rising interest rates are a headwind the balance sheet is in solid shape and uh, it has a strong pipeline of property developments. And I do think that is very well placed to exploit this this looming shortage of dwellings in Australia, especially um, when migration returns to this country. And most of these can be um, applied to DEXs too. And you can see that the common theme is that strong, solid balance sheet, that reliable and resilient 
uh, rental income stream and the fact that they manage properties that are at the higher rent, which seems to show a little bit more uh, resilience. So in the travel sector, um, people have been very scared of investing in travel for some time. There's obvious reasons why you'd be a, a little bit apprehensive when you look at the travel sector overall, and particularly airlines. And it's not just because of the decimation of air travel over the last uh, COVID period. Um, but of course, it's also the, the, the new focus on sustainability and ESG when you're talking about investing in some of these companies. I, I find it interesting to find you are seeing some opportunity there in the travel market. Talk us through what you're looking at, Brian. Yeah, perhaps I can talk about it um, from the prism of a stock. So there is a company called Corporate Travel, a uh, very generic name, but um, AXX code is CTD. Our valuation on that is $23.50. Current stock price is about $16, $17, I think. Now, it is basically a travel agent for companies and business travellers. Now, this is another Australian success story that is now the fourth largest in the global space. Now, the market is worried about all the bottlenecks to travelling that are still in place, including the ridiculous plane ticket prices and the lack of seats to fly on. And Oriel, you only have to see Qantas's um, profit update today to get evidence of that. Now, there are also worries about the economy and what that all means for traveling volumes. But we think most of these concerns are transitory. Business travel travelers are ready to travel. They are ready to do business face-to-face. And, you know, I, I do suspect that some business people are dying to travel just to get away from their partners and kids after two years of being stuck with them at home. So we think earnings will recover to pre-pandemic levels in the next couple of years. And I think this is the time to consider corporate travel ahead of that anticipated recovery. That's certainly interesting. And we're seeing that already, aren't we, Brian, with many people flooding to airports to try and take on board that uh, that little bit of space that you were just talking about. Um, look, really good to have you with us today, Brian. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. And uh, we're hoping we're going to get a certainly an easier year for investors out there next year. Thank you, Oriel. And that's all we have time for for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. For all of our listeners, thanks for joining us today and we'll catch you next time.